So last week, Pastor Billy started this series called Tightening the Knot, and when I called my mom, I'm like, hey, this was yesterday, by the way, yesterday. I get to speak tomorrow, and our series is Tightening the Knot, and she goes around the neck, and I said, no, Mom, that's not how you're supposed to do marriage. Um, my parents have been married for, oh, I'm 40, my brother's 41, so 42 years my parents have been through thick and thin together, so I feel like I have a pretty good example set before me. Um, and no, they don't really string each other up, although many times I would think that they probably like to. Um, so today, though, we're going to talk about two becoming one. Um, and you ever wonder how two flesh can become one in marriage, um, what it means to become one flesh in marriage, or is it possible to become one flesh even in a difficult marriage? Those are kind of the things we're going to talk about today. Um, I promise you to, to do my best. So here goes, we're going to dive in. We're going to start in the very beginning. If you have your Bibles, if you'll go to Genesis chapter 2. If not, Tiffany's got me up here on the screen. We can thank Pastor Billy for making these slides. And so hopefully I can follow along. Um, but here we go, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Right here in the very beginning of the, of the word, right in the very beginning, this is right after creation, God paints a pretty good picture of marriage here in the beginning of the Bible. Marriage is something that's been around since the beginning. But that, that just wasn't good enough because then we go to Matthew. So we got the beginning of the Old Testament and then we go to the beginning of the New Testament and in Matthew chapter 19, here we have Jesus saying the same thing. He's speaking to his disciples and he said... Chapter 19, I'm going to start in verse 4. It says, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So we have it in Genesis, and then the way we divide our Bible out, we have it again in Matthew. But you know what? God didn't stop there. So we find it again in Mark, the exact same thing. Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. We're going to read it again, because if you're hard-headed like me, sometimes God has to walk me like three times before I get it. And so the third time it says, But from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. For this reason man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. All three of these, it happens... In the beginning, in the beginning, God created two to become one. In the beginning, God created two to become one. And if it wasn't good enough that God put it in the word three times, I found it a fourth time. I just wanted to go digging to see what I could find when I had to preach on becoming one. Because uh, it doesn't matter what I tell you. It just matter what the word of God tells you. So if you get mad at anything I say today, take it up with God. I mean, you can take it up with Pastor Billy, but you just better take it up with God. So, if we go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become... Say it. Thank you. So, are we getting the concept here? Two become one. So, two are united to become one flesh. God must have thought it was pretty important that he put it in here four times. It's probably in there more. I stopped at four. 
I don't know if there are any theologians in the crowd that want to go search your Bible and tell me how many times it's really in there, but I figured four was enough. You know, if he's going to repeat himself four times, I'm a mom, and if I have to repeat myself more than once to my child, we got some issues. But if I get to number four, you better ooh, watch out because mama's coming, and mama's probably an angry mama bear at that point. And so they're all teenagers now. I would just take their car keys. Mama's got a new ride. I don't like their car as much as I like mine. But I will drive it just to get my point through, right? So God's telling us four times, I created two and two become one. Two and two don't create four in God's mouth. Two and two create one. That's what we're going to talk to get about today. But we can't become one unless we build on what Pastor Billy taught us last week. So last week, Pastor Billy taught us on the man, the husband is supposed to love the wife like God loves the church, and therefore the wife can submit to the husband as unto God. And sometimes in life, I'll be honest, I told you I had one failed marriage, right? So I learned all the things not to do in marriage. Um, in life, sometimes it's hard to submit. As a woman raised in this generation, at least my generation, maybe some of the other generations, it's not the same. Raised in my generation, we were taught, you can do all, you can be all, you can go to work, you can bring home the bacon, you can fry it up, you can raise the kids, you can do all this, you don't need a man. And you know what? That might be true. I did do it all on my own for a while. But I can tell you that if that husband is a man of God and he is putting God first and he is showing you love the way that Christ loved the church, it brings peace and takes a load off your shoulders to be able to submit to that. Why? Because we know that when Jesus walked this earth, he didn't do anything that would harm the church. To this day, in heaven now, Christ doesn't do anything that would bring harm to the church. He only does things that benefit the church. So if I can take my peace as part of my love to my spouse, and I can rest in the fact that my spouse is walking after God and loving me the way Christ would love the church, then I can be submissive in knowing that he's only going to do what's beneficial for me, for us, to become one. He's not going to intentionally bring harm. Just a thought. That's a side thought. Side trail, rabbit trail. But if we, we got to, you know, like, and men, you got to, it's really hard to be a submissive wife. I'll just tell you from a woman's point of view, right? We got Billy's point of view last week. <laughs> Hi, Billy. That's what you get for not being here. Um, so from a woman's point of view, it's really hard to be submissive to a man who's not showing you the love of God, who is abusive towards you, been there, done that. It's, it's hard to be submissive to a man who doesn't have your best interests at heart and doesn't have God's interest in his heart, Right? That's a whole nother, like the dating series of finding someone that seeks after God. But let's pretend you've been through the dating series and you, you married somebody who seeks after God. And in a godly relationship, he's seeking after God. He's loving you the way you're supposed to be loved. And then women, our show of love back is giving him that respect and honoring that. And that doesn't mean that he makes decisions without speaking to you. We'll get into that today, becoming one. Whew. All that, page one. We got a long time to go. Anyway, let's get back to what the word says. Back to Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to go to verse 5. 
That's the one we've been hitting on. Verse 5 says, A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. When we think of leave today in American society, we think of to leave behind, to depart from, to forsaken, to abandon. That's what I found in Webster's Dictionary. Um, but when we look at the biblical sense in this verse, in this verse, leave is used of one who is being called away but cannot take the other with him. So when we are, this is, this is we're going to pretend. I had some little helpers in the first service, but we're just going to pretend right now in this big service. And we have woman and we have man, man and woman. And they're at home in their family that they grew up in, mom and dad protecting them, loving them, providing for them, their nuclear family, right? Whatever their family looks like. And they're safe inside here. I can't get to it. I can't harm them. But the problem is, is that if I leave them in their homes, in their containers, I can't join them together as one. I can stack them on top of each other, but they're still two. And when troubles come, they're going to fall apart. I can put them beside each other, and they don't they look so cute, red and blue, on my chest. And they're going to roll away from each other. That wasn't even planned. That's pretty cool. Um, but in order to become one here in Scripture, it indicates leaving your parental family. And that doesn't mean that we neglect them. That doesn't mean that we throw them to the side. That doesn't mean that we abandon them. That doesn't mean that they don't still play a role in our life. But what it means is they no longer play the primary relationship in our life. So we're going to leave them. And that's where we're going to stay right now, just right there. So the, the, the husband leaves the protection of his parents, and he takes on the role of the protector. And the wife leaves the protection of her parents, and she takes on the role of the helpmate. And they begin to work together. So they're going to begin to work together. But I'm not going to push them together just yet. We're just in a marriage, there is a bond that brings two people together in a way that changes the dynamics of all other relationships. So when I have a bad day... I don't necessarily shouldn't run to my mommy to dog on my spouse. I should probably run to my spouse first or maybe even to God first before I talk to my spouse because, man, oh, man, I can be mean sometimes. And get it out and then go to my spouse and be like, hey, we need to have a talk. I probably shouldn't just go to my spouse and throw daggers. I'm usually pretty good at that. He's getting really good at dodging them, not literal daggers. <laughs> but, you know, there's a, there, that relationship begins to change all of our other relationships. All of our relationships in our life need to, need to kind of lower themselves. And the only thing that should take precedent, the only relationship that should be above the marital relationship after marriage, not prior to marriage, after marriage, is that relationship between you and Jesus Christ. Because if you keep that relationship between you and Jesus Christ strong, you have a strong relationship with Jesus Christ, your spouse has a strong relationship with Jesus Christ, and you bring that together, Jesus Christ is like the glue that puts you all together. And you become one. So what about that relationship with your parents, your best friend, your children, your stepchildren, maybe your ex? What about that relationship you have with video games? What about that relationship you have with your hobby? 
What about that relationship you have with social media? Because we know in today's generation, social media is taking over the world, kind of like pinky in the brain. What about our relationship with television? Have we left those relationships in this sense so that we can become one with our spouse? It doesn't mean that there's not a place in our life for them, but it means that they become less because our spouse's relationship with us becomes the most important other than our relationship with Christ. I want everybody to close your eyes for just a minute. I want you to think for just, just, just like 10 seconds. And I want you to ask God, is there something, is there a relationship in my life that I've let take precedent over my marriage? And if so, if so show it to me. Maybe it's time for us to take and fast that particular relationship that Christ showed you. Set it to the side for a period of time so that you, we can focus on becoming one with our spouse. Whatever that is. It's important to understand what it looks like. What, oh, you can open your eyes if you haven't already. Sorry. Woo, sit with your eyes shut the rest of the message. I might feel all right with that. <laughs> Nobody looking at me. Sorry, Facebook, go black. Oh, <laughs> just joking. Um, it's important to understand what leaving looks like. If we don't grasp the concept of what it means to leave these other relationships and put them in the priority that they belong in, then we can't move to the next directive of marriage, which is in the same verse. And it says to be joined. But in the King James Version, it says to cleave. So let's look at verse 6. Since two, no, oh, where did we go? I lost myself. Hang on. But let's go back to leave and cleave. That's where it said it. Right up there. It's up there. The King James Version. For this cause, man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So cleave means to join pretending to be God for a moment. Oh, not really. But this is man and woman, right? And so two shall be one flesh. Twain means two. It means to couple. It means to pair. So the couple shall be one. To cleave. Haha, I love this. Here's our biblical usages of cleave. It means to cling to, to stick, to stay close, to stick with, to follow closely, to join to, join together, to pursue closely. Now, I'm not a very romantic person. Just throwing that out there, see no sugarcoating. Not very romantic. However, I am so in love with my spouse. He's not even in here this time to hear it. <laughs> that when we go to the grocery store and we're pursuing groceries, I like to grab onto that arm or that hand or whatever else my hand happens to fall on and be like, whoop, this one's mine. We are cleaving together. We are pursuing some groceries because there ain't none in the house. We're going to pursue that together. Um, what else do we pursue together? Not a whole lot. We really have to work on this. He likes me to pursue the garden with him, but I don't like the garden. Shh, don't tell him that. No, I have told him that many times. But I do it because I love him. I invite you to my garden because you like to work outside. I don't. Um, 
Anyway, we pursue things together because that's what cleave means. He returns the favor when I'm like, come watch this TV show with me or uh, sit here while I do my crafting. Just talk to me. I know you can't do it. You can't sew on my sewing machine. You can't knit with my knitting needles, but you can sit here. <laughs> right? So we do things together. And the Hebrew, though, the Hebrew of cleave means to adhere, especially firmly as with glue. Ooh, baby, I'm stuck like glue. You and me, baby, we're stuck like glue. That's what I was thinking when I was like going through this message. So you get it. There you go. We're stuck like glue. Man, you ever, what's the strongest glue you've ever used? Shout it out. Gorilla, Gorilla glue. Yeah, that stuff is nuts. I was using it at work the other day. Like instead of super glue, it said Gorilla Glue. It even said it was gel so it wouldn't get on my fingers. It lied. <laughs> it lied. And it was on my fingers for a long time. I'm like, you know, it's COVID and I'm in here chewing on my fingers thinking, woohoo, glad I already had the COVID, can't get it again. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's what goes through my head, that's what you get. Um, Gorilla Glue, it's stuck like glue, man. If I put that on the palms of my hands today and went like this next week when I came back to church, I'd be stinky because I wouldn't be able to clean myself. But my hands would still be stuck together. I'd probably still be in the same clothes because I don't know how I get... <laughs> it would be horrible. But Gorilla Glue, you're right. It sticks you together. The point is, cleaving is not a feeling. It's a choice. Just like love is not a feeling, it's a choice. Love is an action, it's not a feeling. Cleaving is an action, it's not a feeling. It's on the days where you wake up and... Oh, I tell my husband some days, I say, I don't like you today, but I love you always. And you know, this is this, he usually just responds back to me and says, I don't like you today either, but I love you always. Because we've made that choice of even on our bad days to be loving. And so if I can recognize, I'm going to preach to myself for a minute, okay? You all just get the benefit of me preaching to myself. If I had a mirror, I'd hold it up. If I can realize that I'm having a bad day and I'm treating my husband in a way that I shouldn't be treating him, and I can be like, pull it back in, pull it back in. It's okay, don't treat him that way. Choose to act lovingly even when I don't feel like acting lovingly. So if he made me angry and I'm going upstairs to do the laundry because my washer and dryer's upstairs, and I just want to pick up my own clothes because he made me mad and he can stink for the week. How many of y'all has ever done that? Don't raise your hands. I don't want to know. Just think about that for a minute. But no, to cleave is a choice. To love him is a choice. So I have to remind myself to pick up his dirty socks, too, and his Subaru clothes, and throw those in the washer as well, because that's acting, that's cleaving, that's loving, you know? Fortunately, he does the laundry most of the time, because I don't like laundry. He's a good guy. <laughs> but that's, the, that's just the whole point, right? And it can be reversed, you know? He's like, every time I drive your car, it's on empty. But every time I get it back, it's full. Because <laughs> he chooses to love me. It's an act. 
That's simple. That's a simple, you know, a simple, I'm simplifying things. But to cleave and to love is an act. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. Now we'll go to verse 6. Sorry, I'm like, I'm scattered here. Verse 6 says, since they no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So we have two people who have been seeking after God, and God has shaped them into what he wants them to be. And they're going to continue to seek after God. Can you tell I used to teach kids? And so they walk down the aisle in their pretty little dress and their gorgeous tuxedo, and they got their flowers, and they get to the altar, and there's this bald pastor standing there with a beard. And they say their vows before God. And they start to join their lives together. Is that it? That's where Disney leaves us, right there at the altar. Right there past infatuation. Right there past, I'm in love. That's where Disney leaves us, right there. But that's not where life leads us, leaves us. It would be nice if it, I mean, maybe not nice if it stopped there, but it'd be nice if that feeling of romance just carried us all the way through the rest of our marriage and we never experienced divorce and we never experienced abuse and we never experienced financial struggles and we never experienced kids talking back and we never experienced parents parenting on two different styles. That's not what life does. But marriage is two becoming one flesh. It's more than that physical union that you did on your wedding night and that you probably continue to do throughout your marriage, hopefully, because God said it is good. You know? It's more than that. It's a spiritual union. Marriage is a commitment between man and woman who are fulfilling God's will. God's will for what? God's will for reproduction, God's will for partnering in stewardship over this earth and living out the purpose that goes far beyond this life. Becoming one isn't just about a sexual union between spouses. It's about some pretty big decisions and making those decisions together. How many knows becoming one takes work? Yeah, doesn't it though? Lots of it, especially, especially I don't know. I'm just going to throw this out here because we know in today's society that 50% of marriages end in divorce, probably more than that now. So there's a good chance that either you sitting here have been through divorce or people in Facebook land have been through divorce. No shame, no condemnation. I've been there, been through that. That's why I said, man, you want me to talk on marriage? I don't have those qualifications. I failed at one already. It takes work to become one. And if only one person's working... It probably isn't going to work very well. So we had to put both people together and work a little bit at marriage. So we're just going to work a little bit. Just a little bit. Maybe until we walk down the aisle. Maybe for the first month we're going to work together. Would you say that that is one? Some say yes, some say no. We'll see. We'll just let it sit right there and see what happens. But what happens when the financial decisions come along and there's not enough money in the bank account to pay the bills? Or what happens if there is enough money in the bank account and you decide you're going to buy a house, but she wants one, 
that is like in a neighborhood because she wants neighbors and he wants one that's in the country because you know he wants to plow the ground not talking about us i like being in the country just throwing some examples out there i don't like to plow the ground though i like the country um what happens when you don't come to a decision together on where to spend your energy there's only so much energy you can muster in a day a week in a year and if I, as a spouse, am spending all my energy at work and on families I serve at work, I'm just going to talk out of my own life here for a minute. If I spend all my energies helping all these families that are going through crisis, and then I come home and I'm like, oh, I'm just so tired, I just don't want to do anything, and I give no energy to my own spouse and my own family, am I becoming one? Probably not. And so that means that I allow something... from the outside into my union with my spouse because I put it before us. It could be job. It could be my best friend. She moved to Georgia on me. Um, it could be <laughs> the puppies. I love my puppies. I got rid of all but one, but I bring more home. You got puppies? I'll take them home. <laughs> Side note, sorry, rabbit trail, this is what you get. It could be um, work. Where is all my work-driven men out there in the world? I find that, I don't know, I'm stereotyping. I should probably not stereotype while I preach. But um, it could be whatever. Now, suddenly it's harder for me to mesh and become one because I got these things in my way. And, and it's so hard. And what is something else? Maybe uh, video games are my uh, priority, and I just come home from work and play video games, or maybe I just quit work to play video games. That sounds like a boring life, but some people like it. Whatever it might be. And now I'm having a struggle becoming one, because becoming one takes work, and now i got all these things up in my relationship that shouldn't be there. that God, marriage, God designed marriage to be a stewardship and partnering, a partnering and stewardship over the earth. When one spouse is lacking in one of these areas, it affects the other spouse as well because we're connected. We put each other together. And so now if I work too much or he doesn't work enough or reverse the roles, or if I want to spend all my time with my girlfriends, or he wants to spend all of his time with his guy friends, well, it's just, I mean, there's time for that. But if I put it ahead of my marriage now, I can't become one very well. I'm divided. Do you make decisions together? Do you decide on what mortgage you should have? If you're going to change jobs, bank accounts? How about filing taxes? What should be on it? Vehicles you purchase, bringing home dogs, I'm bad. I would bring home every dog in the world. I love dogs. The bigger, the better. Yeah. <laughs> I would. I would. It's horrible. My spouse doesn't want any more dogs, though, so I have to be like... <gasps> Rabbit trail story. So when we got married, it'll be four years this July. Um, he was like, 
No more pets. The ones you have are all you can have. At that point, I had two dogs and a cat. I'm okay with those, but no more pets. But he gave me a loophole. He said, unless they're farm animals. He didn't know who he was talking to. So I did some research. And did you know Great Pyrenees are farm animals? Yes, they are. They're intended to guard livestock. So guess what I got me? Not one, but two Great Pyrenees. And then along came um, about nine months later. No, they're two years old now. So a year and a half later, I got me nine Great Pyrenees puppies. <laughs> but I tried to honor my spouse in becoming one, so I got rid of all but one puppy. <sighs> I can take that one back out. He says, if anybody wants the last puppy, you can have it. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Its name is Freckles. And it's Papa's dog. But I will let it go. Because there's nothing, nothing. I know that's a silly example, but how many know pets and kids can divide marriages in a heartbeat? Not that the children and the pets do it, but are not being on the same page about the children and the pets. Could right, sorry. Rabbit trail, we'll get back to it. So making those decisions in life, it has to be a two-sided thing. One person can't choose to leave and cleave, and the other person not, because then this is what happens, and you can't combine very well that way. So both people have to choose to leave and cleave and work at becoming one because while marriage is fun and some aspects are good, um, marriage is work and becoming one is work and we have to work at it. So I'm just going to work with this for a little bit while we tone things up and summarize and get to the end of this message, right? So Jesus, in summary, Jesus gives us three reasons. Three, two, three, three. Three reasons why marriage should remain and couples should remain married. So let's look. Number one, the creator determines what is ideal in marriage. And since he created one male and one female originally, he created us to have only one mate for life. In the first sermon, I told him earlier in the week, I didn't know I was going to have to speak. Abby and I were talking about animals and otters because they're so cute. And did you know that though they're vicious, um, otters mate for life, like penguins. They have one mate for life. And I don't know what that has to do with anything except for they only have one mate, kind of like God created humans to do. And so you might say, well, in the Bible, he had like 27 wives. And uh, they made uh, laws for divorce. Well, you're right. They did. But was it that way in the beginning? Is that how God created it? Is that how God intended it? Because if we go back to Genesis and we go to verse or chapter 3 verse 16, it tells us what happened right after sin. So let's look at what happened right after sin. To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten 
from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. It was after the first sin that women, we get to have such pleasure in childbirth. And we always want our husband around. I always want my husband around, even though I'm not romantic. When he starts to leave the room, I'm like, where are you going? Why are you leaving me? I know where he's going. I just like to him to turn back around and tell me. Well, where would you have been if I hadn't called your name? I'm just a turd that way, right? It's like this ongoing thing. And he's like, woman, I think you have abandonment issues. And I'm like, maybe. Where are you going? Come back, right? And so, um, men, after the fall, now we have to work the ground. We have to work hard to provide. We can't just walk up to the tree and eat everything we want. But we'll move on. We'll move on. Because... I will say again, let me just say again, if you've been through divorce, which we know half of America has been, I'm not condemning you. I've walked that way. And I can tell you that I learned that not, it's very easy to allow God not to be the center of your relationship. And when that happens, and you're not constantly pursuing one another in a godly way, and you're not constantly walking together through life, that that's when the enemy gets in and that's when he splits and that's when he destroys and that's when he causes devastation that will impact your children and their children. I've seen it firsthand. I know what my children's attitudes, behaviors, and the way they loved people were prior to divorce and what they went through after divorce, what they went through with me being a single mom and the struggle it was when a godly man came into our lives and we tried to join our union together and put five teenagers under one roof. So there's no, no condemnation coming here at all. If you've been through it, you've been through it. But that's not, my point is, that's not what God intended in the beginning. God does provide healing. God brings restoration when we seek after him. And God can put a spiritual union together, whether it's reuniting you or if one chooses not to come back to Christ and, and putting you know, two godly people together, whatever it may look like. So there's no condemnation coming, coming from here at all. Please feel the love. It's an Valentine's Day. Okay, so two. Oh, first, let's look. So I've been working at this for a minute, and I don't know... Who, who, who can see this really good? Can you see it really good? You're about the closest. What do you see? What colors do you see? A little bit of red, a little bit of blue, a little bit of purple. So I don't know if Facebook can see this. That's why I was asking people. Um, but it's starting to blend together because we're working on becoming one. So we're just going to keep working while we keep summarizing. Number two, God ordained marriage as the strongest bond in all human interpersonal relationships, so it should not be broken. Well, I already gave my divorce spiel, so here we go. The strongest personal relationship. So if you still have anyone else in your life, whether it's an employer, a boss, a brother, a sister, uh, a best friend, whether they're the same sex or a different sex, and you let that relationship take precedence over your spouse, 
that's like taking this little popsicle stick and jabbing it right back in. It's hard to become one when you have a third party in the middle, unless that third party is glue. Ooh, baby. My daughter told me not to sing that today, so I'm trying to sing it as much as I can. <laughs> Number three, the basic element of marriage is a covenant that the husband and the wife will make to each other. And that contract is becoming one flesh. Let's go to Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, I'm going to read it from up there because it's a little different than my paper. You cover the altar of the Lord with your tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. And so then you cry out and you ask, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained married, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. And in the King James Version, the New King James Version says, you have dealt treacherously with her. So sometimes when we're praying and we're saying, God, why aren't you answering my prayers, God? Why can't I hear from you, God? Why can't I feel you, God? Where are you? I'm all alone. Hello? Sometimes we got to stop and say, well, you know what? Maybe I need to do a self-examination because maybe I'm not becoming one with the one that I vowed before God that I've become one with. Maybe I've let something slip into my relationship. Maybe it's my hobby. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's who knows what. And it stopped me from becoming one. And God says, you've dealt treacherously with your spouse. Go mend that and then come back to me. You know there's scriptures on going to Christ in two? That's another whole side sermon. But there's scriptures that talk about going to God as two and making your petitions known. That there's strength in that unity. And when we allow things to divide us, then we no longer have that strength. And maybe, maybe that's why you're down here sh shouting, God, I'm married and I'm all alone! Hello? Where are you? I can't deal with this anymore. And all the time God's saying, you're not alone. You vowed. You have a partner. Go be one. Come to me together. Just a thought. And being one doesn't mean that he completes you, ladies, or that she completes you, men, because that part can only be done by God, and it should be done prior to the marriage. Remember when we made the Plato nice and long? God shapes you, creates you, fulfills you, completes you, and then you bring two complete people into a union to become one. He doesn't complete you. He may compliment you, Lord knows me and my husband are different like night and day. I don't know how we ever got together. I mean, we definitely complement one another. But we don't complete one another. Only God can do that. That happens before marriage. After marriage, you're stuck. Stuck like glue. You and me, baby. We're stuck. There you go, Abby. Ha ha, three times. Um, 
So you become one in spirit and one in flesh. So let's look at this Play-Doh now. It took some work. I mean, a whole hour here. And now what color do we have? Do we see any traces of red or blue? What about if we rip it open? So because sometimes divorce slips in, we have to divide, right? I still don't see red and blue. Just say I'm just going to just let that fall where it may. Because when you work to become one, you become one. You, it's, you're not the same as what you were before you committed. So if you're struggling in your marriage today, could it be that certain areas, in certain areas, maybe you never became one in those areas? Or maybe you became one in those areas, but then life slipped in and it made you two again. I lost a piece. Maybe? Is there an area um, or multiple areas where one of you thinks it should be one way? like 27 dogs, and another of you thinks it should be another way. You know, could you make a list of these areas where you think differently than your spouse? Maybe it's areas of contention, and you don't really talk about it anymore, and it comes out in these snide little remarks of, well, if you adjust, you know, could be something small. Small things cause big contention in life. You would just put fuel in your car before you let me drive it. But then, honey, you couldn't fill it up for me. I mean, it could be large areas, right? It could be, oh my goodness, finances is one of the biggest causes of divorce right now in America. It could be the way you parent your children. I will tell you, in blended families, woo-wee, that was fun. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Um, but we made it through because we had to learn how to, and it could be with anything. I'm going to use our, our parenting as an example. We had to learn how to stop, come away from the issue at hand, which in this case was the children that we were trying to correct, go and have this little sign conversation, get back on the same page, and then go back to the problem at hand and deal with it, becoming one. It wasn't easy. It may be your job that you have to come to the side and have that conversation. Where do our career paths take us? Where does our mortgage path take us? But I challenge you this week, because i gotta, we got to get us out of here. Um, I challenge you this week. It would be very beneficial to think of the areas where you and your spouse aren't one. Where, what areas of contention lie? What areas do you think differently? Maybe it hasn't been contention yet because you just keep putting it off. And make a list. And then take that list in your personal prayer time and pray over it. And pray, God, if there's, you know, here's this list where I feel like I'm not one with my spouse, please open my heart. How can I approach this differently and do the same for my spouse open his or her heart how can she approach this differently and then come back together and actually put some work into it and work at becoming one rather than just allowing the flow to pull you further and further apart so i challenge you to do that this week to identify the areas that you and your spouse are two instead of one because 
according to Malachi, and may it be the very thing that is stopping you from having that relationship with Jesus Christ in the space where it needs to be. And it may be the very thing that's stopping you for compl- from completing God's purpose for you on this earth. And it would be a shame to get to the end of your life and stand before God in heaven and be like, I didn't do it, God, I'm sorry. Let's pray. Father, I just come before you right now, and I know this message wasn't sugar-coated, and it wasn't very pretty, um, but it is what you gave to deliver to your people. Father, I thank you for every heart that is here today, every heart that is listening online, every heart that may go back and watch the replay. Father, you are a good God, and you are a big enough God to tell me where I mess up, and you're a big enough God to impress upon everyone else's hearts where they mess up. So, Father, we just come boldly before your throne, and we just lay our hearts out before you. God, in our prayer this week is, Lord, if there is an area where I am not one with my spouse, that you would open my eyes to it. Father, if there is an area where I am mistreating my spouse or I am not behaving in the way that I should behave, I pray that you would open our eyes to it. Father, I pray that as we go about this week that you would just reveal these things to us and not only reveal them to us, but Father, that you would begin to guide us and lead us, that we would be open to your leading, to be able to take the corrective steps to become one instead of two. And Father, I pray that as we're drawing together to you and to one another in our marriage relationships, Father, that it would then begin to reflect out into our families, to our children, to those around us, to our workplaces, and into our community, God, that we could be a mighty force for you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.